0: Our loving Father, thank you very much for speaking to us in your word. By your Spirit, please help us to hear. And please help us to see clearly who Jesus is. Amen. Uh, do you know what uh, 75% of Americans fear the most? Anyone want to guess? Authority. De- death, authority. No, it's none of those. Um, becoming irrelevant. Becoming irrelevant. It is uh, what have you got for us, Caitlin? It is public speaking. Public speaking, 75% of Americans, their biggest fear is public speaking. Um, This is according to the American National Institutes of Mental Health. Their biggest fear is public speaking. So, good on all of you who've got the phone at Uni Church tonight. You're doing very well. It's hard to speak publicly, isn't it? It's pretty terrifying. Um, I think you risk looking silly. You risk being rejected, really. But don't you think it's weird? Don't you think it is weird that? more people are afraid of public speaking than are afraid of death. because uh, Comedian Jerry Seinfeld once said, that means that if you're at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. (laughs) And doesn't that just expose this statistic for being as ridiculous as it really is, actually? It's ridiculous. Because, look, when push comes to shove, I'm sure most of you would rather have a microphone in your hand than be killed, wouldn't you? Most of you. Um, it seems to me that, well, in our society, in the West at least, it's all about um, keeping death at bay. It's not, we don't care about public speaking or not public speaking. Our society is not built around avoiding public speaking. It's built around avoiding death. We avoid death at all costs. That's why most of Australia is in lockdown at the moment. Because if this pandemic gets up ahead of steam, people will die. And we're afraid of dying. That's why we pump so much money into healthcare each year. Can anyone guess to the nearest billion how much Australia spent on healthcare in the 2019-20 financial year? 63, you're not even close, Roman. keep going. 87, you're a bit too far now. It's $81.8 billion on healthcare, on not dying in one year alone. We're afraid of dying. Uh, And it's the ultimate threat, isn't it? What does King George sing in Hamilton? (laughs) He sings his love song to the American rebels. You'll be back, cause. When push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. When push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. It's the ultimate threat because we are afraid of dying. And we're so afraid of it, we don't even know how to talk about it, do we? We've got so many other ways to say that someone has died and say they've passed away. Here's some good ones: um, they've kicked the bucket, they're pushing up daisies, six feet under, croaked, carked it, cactus left the building, fallen off the perch dead as a dodo, curtains gone upstairs. There's one I hadn't heard before: um, dirt nap. <laughs> <laughs> <There it is. laughs> dirt nap. Someone submitted that dirt nap. We don't know. It's. We don't know how to talk about death. We try and make it funny. We don't know how to talk about it because we're afraid of dying. And death is so terrifying, I think, because we don't know what comes after it. We don't know what comes after death. Uh, will Will there be punishment? Will it hurt? Will it be okay? Will there be oblivion? What will happen to us? What will happen to those we leave behind? We don't know. And so much of what we do then is driven by the fear of death so much of how we live maybe you want to create a legacy so you are remembered maybe you want to be comfortable maybe you want to have a family all these things they can be taken away in an instant by death and so we're so afraid that death might take them away that we want to get them asap we want to get them as fast as we can so we strive as hard as we can to get these things comfort family uh, fame legacy whatever it might be we're afraid of dying and so we're trying to live as fast as we can. Uh, this is Yuval Noah Harari. He's, he writes this in his best selling book, Homo Deus. He writes In the 21st century, humans are likely to make a serious bid for immortality. For modern people, death is a technical problem that we can and should solve. We're so afraid of death that um, Harari predicts that we're going to try and defeat it altogether. He basically says, I don't know how to do that. He's a, he's a historian, not a scientist. I don't know how to do that. Or even if we can defeat death, he says, but healthcare has gotten so much better over the past century that if we continue on this trajectory, well, who knows where it could take us? That's his argument. and It's kind of hard to argue against it, isn't it? But do you think he's right? Do you think we'll be able to defeat death? Will we be able to achieve immortality? Because that's what you want to do with something you're scared of, isn't it? You want to get rid of it. You want to defeat it. Well, I don't know uh, if we'll be able to do that. But, friends, for those of us who are afraid of death, there is better news and a better way. And we find it in Hebrews chapter 2 tonight. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, we find that death has been defeated already by Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, we find that God became human to give us life. God became human to give us life. So are you even a tiny bit afraid of death? Hebrews 2 is for you. So tonight we'll start in your subject outline. We've got an outline of where we're going and we'll start with the basic observation that Jesus became a man. And then we've got three reasons that we'll take from the passage. So that, so that, so that. Uh, So Jesus became a man. Now we're in Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews is about how to hang in there as a Christian. How to hang in there in the Christian life when the Christian life is really hard to live. And chapter 2 is in the opening the opening section of this sermon. Hebrews is probably written as a sermon. So we're still in the opening section, and in this section, the writer has been showing us why Jesus is better than angels. Mm. Why Jesus is better than angels. The angels uh, have to do with the Old Testament law, and the first hearers of Hebrews, they were reverting back to Judaism, reverting back to following the law and not listening to jesus but the argument here is that well jesus is better than listening to just the old testament law so listen to jesus jesus is better chapter one because he is himself god he is god and he rules on the throne that's why jesus is better from chapter one and the angels they serve him and that's the launching pad for our passage tonight jesus rules the world not the angels that's chapter two verse five look at chapter two verse five For he, God, has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. It's not angels, it's Jesus who rules. Uh, But it's important here to see that Jesus rules the world as a human. He rules the world as a human. He's not an angel. He's not just God. But God the Son, who rules and reigns over all things, became a human. And the writer of Hebrews shows us this by... Uh, a reading of Psalm 8. He reads Psalm 8 as a song about Jesus. Psalm 8, we read it before, and it's quoted here in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Hebrews. But someone somewhere has testified, "'What is man that you remember him, "'or the son of man that you care for him? "'You made him lower than the angels for a short time. "'You crowned him with glory and honour "'and subjected everything under his feet.'" Psalm 8 describes the goal of humanity, ruling God's creation under him as the king. This is what humans were made to do, to rule God's creation. But look around. Do you think that we do a very good job of ruling God's creation? It's a pandemic. You're all wearing masks. Um, uh, floods in Europe and in India in the past week. We don't, we don't rule. We don't rule. And that's verse 8 that's verse eight something has gone wrong that glory and honor that we were meant to be crowned with how are we going to get that how are we going to get it we need someone to do it on our behalf so friends psalm 8 isn't about us it's about the one who rules on our behalf it's about jesus it's about jesus look at chapter 2 verse 9 we don't see everything subjected to us he says but verse 9 but we do see jesus made lower than the angels for a short time So that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. Jesus was made lower than the angels. Think of a cosmic hierarchy and Jesus is made lower than the angels. He's saying that Jesus is human. Jesus became a man. Now, this is tricky, right? Because chapter one spent a lot of time and energy convincing us that Jesus is God, that Jesus rules over all things. And now in chapter 2, he's uh, trying to convince us that Jesus is a human, that Jesus is a man. Jesus was superior to the angels. Jesus now has gone under the angels somehow. How do these two truths go together? How can Jesus be God and Jesus be a man? Uh, Well, it's time to play everyone's favourite game show, Hero or Heretic. Yes, everyone's favourite game show. I'll show you a picture of someone from church history and you have to tell me if they are a hero of church history, or a heretic. Heretic means uh, someone who teaches the wrong thing about God or about Jesus. So how can Jesus be both God and man? First up we have um, Eutyches, everyone's favourite. So uh, hands on heads if you think Eutyches was a hero. Hands on your knees if you think Eutyches was a heretic. We've got lots of <laughs> heretics We've got one hand on one head. And show us the answer, please, Caitlin. He was heretic. Yes, that's right. Eutychies taught that Jesus is fully God, but not fully human. Jesus is fully God, but not fully human, is what Eutychies said. He thought that since Jesus is God, you can't mix God with imperfection. Humans are imperfect, so you can't mix God with humanity. It doesn't work. So he thought that... uh, Uh, jesus is fully god but like in a human shell so he looks human he's in a human shell that's not how it works folks Eutyches is a heretic it's not that jesus is fully god but not fully human well done all right next up who do we have caitlin oh arius everyone loves a good Arius. so hands on heads for hero hands on knees for heretic Everyone's going hands on these. Oh, there's one hand on. There's a few hands on his Arius. Let's see, Caitlin Taurus. Heretic. Arius was a heretic. That's right. Her- Arius taught that Jesus is fully human, but not fully God. He's the opposite to Eutyches, isn't he? He thought that God the Son was not God, but that God the Son was the Father's first creation. So he's not properly God, uh, but he's fully human. That's not how it works, folks. Arius is a heretic. Okay, next up, who have we got, Caitlin? Oh, everyone's favourite. Nestorius, don't let his koi pose put you off. <laughs> Nestorius, hands on heads for hero, hands on knees for heretic. We've got a few more backers for Nestorius. Anyone, anyone want to... Oh, good, we've got some Nestorian people here. Show us, Caitlin. Nestorius was a heretic. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right, Nestorius. He was getting closer. Right? He taught that Jesus is both God and human. That's good, Nestorius, good job. But Nestorius thought that since um, uh, God and humans, humanity can't coexist in one body, Jesus has to have two different natures. That doesn't work because he's saying that Jesus is like a bottle with water and oil in it that never mix. They're both in there, but they're separate. Jesus has a split personality. He is divided within himself. That's not how it works, folks. Jesus isn't divided within himself. That's not how you fit God and humanity together in one person. Okay, next up, give me... uh, Who have we got? Oh, this is Cyril of Alexandria. Cyril of Alexandria. So, hands on heads for hero, hands on knees for heretic. He's starting to work out how it works now. Let's see. Show us, Caitlin. He is... Oh, he's a hero! Congratulations, everyone who backed. Cyril of Alexandria. That's right. Cyril taught that Jesus is both God and man united in one person united in one person Jesus is never divided but the divine and human natures are also never mixed never divided but never mixed Jesus is fully God and fully man this is the key to understanding Hebrews chapter 2 Jesus is fully God and fully man he is fully and totally God fully and totally man as God he rules all things always as man he was made lower than the angels for a short time remember the tool that i gave you last week on how to read the scriptures well what jesus is and what jesus does sometimes they're separate who jesus is eternal god what jesus does become man god became a man which is a weird thing for a god to do let's be honest why did he do it then well hebrews chapter 2 gives us three reasons Three times in Hebrews 2, the author says, so that. That's an important phrase to look for, isn't it? Three reasons that God became a man. Here's the first reason, and this is point two. God became a man so that he could taste death for everyone. So that he could taste death for everyone. This one is in verse 9. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. We do see Jesus, made lower than the angels, for a short time, made man so that... By God's grace, he might taste taste death for everyone. We saw him crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. God became man so that he could do what we're all afraid to do. God became man so that he could die. Uh, He needed to do that, you see, because it's a fundamental rule of godness that gods can't die, so he had to become human in order to die. God doesn't know what death tastes like, so he needs to be fully human to taste death. But why would he want to die? Well, what did verse 9 say? He tastes death for everyone, for everyone. Jesus is our representative. We elect representatives to to parliament, don't we? Our representative in the national parliament for this area is, of course, Michael Michael McCormack. Thank you. <laughs> everyone knew that right <laughs> and our representative in the state parliament is of course nice. mm-hmm. Dr J Dr J. <laughs> Doctor Joe McGurr, excellent, thank you sir <laughs> uh, we have representatives and they are in our parliament Michael McCormick, he is our representative when he goes to parliament it's as though we all in this electorate go to parliament even when we don't uh, when he votes on legislation, it's as though we all vote on legislation. He's meant to represent us and our vote and what we would want. Uh, likewise, we have been represented in the Olympics by 478 athletes. We're representing Australia. When Kate Campbell wins a medal in the swimming, it's as though we all win a medal. That's why we're all so happy. <laughs> so too, so too. When Jesus dies as our representative, it's as though we die. It's as though we die. In Jesus, you have already died. This is why it's so important that Eutychies was wrong. Yeah, we don't want Eutychies around here because uh, it's important that Jesus is indeed fully human. Jesus has to be fully human for him to die. Michael McCormack has to live in the Riverina to represent the Riverina. Kate Campbell has to be Australian to represent Australia at the Olympics. Jesus has to be human to represent humans. Jesus became a man so that he might taste death for everyone. So, friends, if you are afraid of death, well, know that Jesus has already tasted it as your representative. You have already died. You have already died because Jesus is our representative. That's reason one. That doesn't tell us the whole picture. And so to our second reason, point three, God became a man so that through his death he might destroy death. God became a man so that through his death he might destroy death. Or uh, more specifically, let's see how it's described in verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, that is, we all We all with Jesus have flesh and blood in common. Jesus also shared in these. So that, there it is, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. By his death, Jesus destroys the devil who holds the power of death. In the West, we don't know what to do with the devil, do we? Is this your devil? Is that what you think of when you think of the devil? Is this your devil when you think of the devil? Is that the picture you have? Well, uh, uh, what does it say? The devil is the one who holds the power of death. This is what death actually looks like. That is what death looks like. And uh, it's hard to make fun of that. Let's be honest. If you stood at the foot of Jesus' cross looking at him dying there, you would think that death has won wouldn't you? You would think that death has won. That the devil has won. But what does Hebrews say? Through his death, Jesus destroyed the one holding the power of death. Because when he rose from the dead, he broke the power of death. He waltzed, waltzed straight into the devil's own stronghold, destroyed his power and waltzed straight back out again right back to life. Death no longer has any claim on Jesus. And that's why it's so important that Arius was wrong. We don't want Arius around here because it needs to be that Jesus is indeed fully God. Because only a human can die, but only God cannot die. Jesus became a man so that through his death, he might destroy death. Friends, if you're afraid of death, know that Jesus has destroyed, destroyed The one holding the power of death. And so death no longer has any power over you. Jesus became a man so that he might taste death for everyone. So that he might destroy death. And so to our third reason that God became a man, Jesus became a man so that he could make atonement for our sin. This is point four. So that he could make atonement for our sin. Chapter 2 verse 17. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become, there it is, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. Last semester, we read through the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament and we saw that one of the main jobs of the priest is to constantly make atonement for the people through sacrificing animals. So we're in the thought world of sacrifices here. Think of sacrifices. Jesus' death is a sacrificial death. Uh, that is, um, sin or disobedience or imperfection alienates us from a perfect God. And atonement is the making one of us and God. Atonement means that at-one-ment is made. Some translations have a different word. Anyone got a different word here other than atonement? Propitiation, you got propitiation, Roman. I think you, you might do as well Nat from other translations I've checked. Propitiation is a big scary word, isn't it? Um, if you want to if you want to remember it, a propitiatory sacrifice is a sacrifice that appeases the anger of an offended person. To propitiate someone is to appease the anger of an offended person. And and so here's the logic. Uh, God is angry at sin, but his anger is turned aside by the sacrifice of Jesus, onto Jesus. So in his death, Jesus is the sacrifice that deals with our sin, with our disobedience, with our imperfections, with our propensity to screw things up. All those things are dealt with by Jesus. The penalty for sin is death, says the scriptures, but atonement means that Jesus pays the penalty, not us. Atonement means that Jesus pays the penalty, not us. This is why it's so important that Nestorius was wrong too. We don't want any of that around here. It's important that Jesus' humanity and divinity are united in one person because it's the God-man, the God-man, who makes atonement for humans before God. There isn't a part of Jesus that makes atonement. There isn't a part of Jesus that dies. All of Jesus is involved in making atonement. And do you see what this means? It means that atonement is God's initiative. It's not up to you. Atonement is God's achievement. It's not up to you. Atonement is God's gracious gift to us. So, friends, if you're afraid of death, know that Jesus, by his death, has made atonement for you with God. If you trust in Jesus, death is no longer a penalty that you need to face. Jesus became a man so that he might taste death for everyone, so that he might destroy death, and so that he could make atonement for us. So can you see why it's so important that we get Jesus right? Because if we know who Jesus actually is, then we can see what Jesus actually does. Friends, uh, you may die physically, but Jesus, by his physical death, saves us from eternal death you may still be frightened of death but the stunning reality of the gospel of jesus is that you don't need to be you don't need to be if you belong to jesus you know what is coming on the other side true life is coming on the other side there is nothing to fear there is no punishment there is no oblivion there is no terror there is life with jesus you also know what happens on this side though, don't you? You no longer need to be driven in all you do by the fear of death or by the fear of what death might take from you. You do, not to, you do not need to be worried that death might rob us of those things that we love more than God. You don't need to be driven by fear or driven by guilt or driven by obligation because what does the scripture say? You who have been held in slavery by the fear of death have been set free by Jesus so why did God become human what did it say in the creed for us and for our salvation for us and for our salvation what good news the gospel of freedom is hey what good news let's thank God for that and then we'll have some questions let me pray thank you loving father for the good news of Jesus the God man who frees us from the penalty and power of death please give us life that we might glorify you in all that we do Amen. Uh, friends, we always have question time after the uh, sermon. There are two ways to ask questions. You can scan this QR code, which is on your subject outline, and that will take you to a Google form. You can submit questions that way. Uh, if you would like to support the, the ministry on campus with money, this is another way you can access that. Uh, uh, and if you're visiting, then you can. Leave us some details here and say, hey. Uh, If you don't want to ask a question this way, though, we'll stick your hand up and uh, I'll have a go at answering now. So, any questions? Can you explain why verse 18 is there? Can I explain why verse 18 is there? Um, uh, Yes we will do that for the rest of the semester. Yeah. Uh, At this point in Hebrews, he's mentioned that Jesus is the high priest for the first time. Uh, And from chapter 5, that will be the topic of Hebrews. So I don't want to say too much about Jesus being the high priest or Jesus suffering or Jesus being able to help those who are tempted. We'll get to that in chapter 5. This is like the... This is in the in the argument of Hebrews. This is like the preview, and then he goes on a he goes on a big long tangent to encourage his hearers to listen, and then he'll get back to it in chapter five. So stay tuned. Yeah. Any other questions? Uh, yes, yes. Like Jesus being crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Mm. Like, yeah, we kind of you kind of were saying, and we we see around us that suffering and death doesn't have much glory and honor. How how does that work then for Jesus? Like, surely it's because of his resurrection that he's crowned with glory and honor, not because of the suffering of death. Yeah, why is Jesus crowned with glory and honor? Is it because of his death? Well, yeah, that's what verse 9 seems to say, isn't it? Verse 9, we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. Um, I don't know if it excludes the resurrection from the reasoning, but there seems to be something about what Jesus does in making atonement for us by his own death uh, that leads somehow uh, to him reigning. Uh, uh, Chapter 1, verse 5, or even verse 4, he became superior to the angels. Uh, So um, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs, what is that name? To which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son; today I have become your father"? Uh, uh, son is um, a messianic term. It's another way for saying uh, uh, another way of saying king. Uh, it kind of sounds like because chapter one verse three, He made purification for sins. Chapter one verse five, He is somehow thus called king. Uh, there's well, perhaps if we think of it like. Uh, the story of Jesus. Uh, Philippians 2 gives us a bit more of a story, doesn't it? That uh, uh, the son did not think that being equal with the father was something he should use to his own advantage, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. I think it's that same kind of narrative arc that we get in Hebrews. Uh, because of his death, therefore he is exalted. Uh, this is an example, I think, of the distinction between who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Because uh, um, he makes me nervous to say that God the Son, uh, who is eternal and unchangeable, never reigns or rules. But that's who he is. But what he does is become a human, uh, die, and then be raised. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, it's very easy to get tangled in knots, so if that's not a good enough answer, come and chat to me afterwards. Thanks. Right, I'll go maybe one more question. No, no one's got another question. Excellent. In that case, um, we're going to reflect on what we've heard in God's Word tonight with a song used to sing it because we're not allowed to. Uh, but uh, uh, please do let these words encourage you to think of the God-man. Truly God, truly man.